If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hey, you want to sign up for the premium channel? Now's the time. Using promo code BOX. For 30 days, you get free premium content. To take advantage of that offer, go to theboxofoddities.com or the Himalaya app. Promo code BOX. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So here it is. It's like the you know a little more than a week into the month of November, and we're in Maine, as you know, and we've just received our first snowstorm. Mm-hmm. Way too early. Somebody turned the winter switch on too soon. It's actually uh, arrived a little late, based on my experience living in Maine, the never-ending winter capital of the world. It seems to be that way. Yeah. Growing up in northern Maine uh, as a kid, you know, like right on the Canadian border or right straight near the Canadian border, as we say there. Sure. Um, it would uh, begin snowing sometime and sometimes in September. Right. And I still remember there being snow banks on the side of the road well into May. There's a specific parking lot in just above Bangor uh, in a plaza that I used to work at. And the snow piles that they would build up in that parking lot would last well into May. Also, working there was nuts, and I'm glad I don't work there anymore. That's that defunct department store. That is correct, yes. Yeah, yeah. what is it now? A trampoline park? <laughs> yes, I like it much better now. <laughs> Though I do have to make sure I, I empty my bladder fully before going to the trampoline park. Did you empty your bladder fully before you went to work when it was in an actual uh, functioning department store? I know, the day that the uh, IRS came to get me at that store, <laughs> I had concerns about whether or not I had emptied my bladder fully. I'll I'll bet. Yeah. Yeah. What was that all about? I had filed my taxes with the wrong social security number for like three years. Intentionally? No, I just, Mm. my mom just told me my social security number and that's what I used. (laughs) So you never really verified it. That was the number. So did your mom just make it up? No, it was only one number off. 
um, she had written it down on a piece of paper. It was in the desk. I see. So that's how yeah. we kept track of my social security number <laughs> um, until I was into my 30s. And she said, oh, yeah, did I tell you I found your social security card? Oh and I was God. like, you suck. Yeah. So did she intentionally just change one number just to fuck with you a little bit, do you think? Or? No, I don't think oh, that. Okay. I All think right. that she's just a negligent parent. <laughs> I see. <All> right. <laughs> but to be fair, her mom gave her her wrong birth date. So <laughs> huh. I don't have a lot to complain about. It's just passed on down through the generations. Right. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, I get to go first today. Oh, good. Today, it's all about the Benjamins. Oh, well, excellent. more specifically, the Benjamin. Benjamin Franklin? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Ben Franklin. He he was a weird little dude. Yes. In, 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 in ways that I had no idea. I thought I knew quite a bit about Ben Franklin. Sure. <sighs> he was a weird dude. Now, you're calling him Ben. Yeah. Are you, like, a familiar to him? How? I feel like I know him. Really? Yeah. What about Benji? Can you go with Benji? Are you that close now? Um, I would say up to about age 12, you know, Benji would have been appropriate. All right, fine. You, you know. Out of respect for one of our founding fathers. I'm going to call him B-Swizzle. B-Swizzle Franklin. Mm -hmm. So B-Swizzle, um, of course, he was a scientist, an author, a statesman, a printer, an activist, a diplomat, the first postmaster general. Ooh. And a weird friggin' dude. <laughs> He's well known for his discoveries and his theories on um, electricity. He invented the swim fins. Did you know that? I did not know that. A lot of people know he invented bifocals. Sure. But no, he also invented the swim fins. That's wonderful. Yep. And in fact, because of his invention of the swim fins, he was inducted into the uh, Professional Swimmers Hall of Fame. This is amazing. That's like when I found out that Abraham Lincoln was in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. What now? Yeah. <laughs> now, he also invented the Flexible Catheter, and he was inducted into the Flexible Catheter Hall of Fame. Oh, well, well-deserved. That's what I say. And, of course, many other inventions that we use today. Now, interestingly enough... And I'm getting my information from Ranker, again, because what a great re website that is for weird stuff. Mm. The inventions that he is responsible for, he never patented one. Not even one. Not even one. Well, not even bifocal glasses. Not well, one. Why? Well, because he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said something about how he's benefited from many other people's inventions and his inventions were designed with the idea of making life easier for people and that he did not feel as though he needed to protect them. He wanted them to be available to anybody who, who could benefit from them. And he thought that maybe in the future, other people would follow his example and also not bother to patent their stuff and just give it to people. Oh. And yeah. boy, did he get screwed. Yeah, that didn't work yeah. out. That although, was a nice thought, though. Although I think that that uh, singing trout invention, that's available. Oh, that's definitely patented. Really? Because I see like 18,000 different versions of that. Like there's the Billy Bass and the Tommy Trout. Those are different fish. God. All right. So tell me more about B. Swizzle Frank Snatch. B. Swizzle Frank Snatch was born in 1706. He was a middle child. His parents weren't very well-to-do. Mm -hmm. They made ends meet. They were uh, candle makers and soap 
peddlers. His parents couldn't afford to send him to school for more than two years. He only had two years of formal education. Wow. Uh, by age 10, he was uh, working with his dad. By age 12, he became a uh, printer's apprentice to his brother James. Even though he, he lacked access to formal education, he read all the time. Sure. He, was, he was self-taught. He was pretty smart dude. Old Ben Swizzle, Frank Snatch. Now, most people know he lived abroad. He was ambassador to uh, France in 1781. When he was there, he penned an essay, which is called uh, Fart Proudly. Uh, he wrote an essay about farting. What? Yep. And he wrote it. Is this true? This is, this is true. He, um, the, he called it a letter to the Royal Academy about farting. He sent the letter to uh, Richard Price, who was a Welsh philosopher and also a uh, Unitarian minister. What was his stance on farting? He proposed that there should be more scientific study conducted into farts. Okay. And uh, researchers should uh, work on trying to develop some sort of a drug to make farts less offensive. Wow. Kind of, it was like kind of the forerunner to Beano. Okay. He said, quote, it is universally known that in digesting our common food, there is created or produced in the bowels of human creatures a great quantity of wind, uh, that the permitting of this air to escape and mix with the atmosphere is usually offensive to the company from the fetid smell that accompanies it. Wow. Yeah. It was actually quite a, a lengthy thesis on farting. I guess so. I wish that we would all come to the understanding that everyone does it and get over it and don't be so weird about it. But I can't really hold that post until other people get on board. I don't want people to feel as though they can just let loose, especially if you're in a confined space like an airplane. No, thank you. I just feel like at an airplane, you don't have a lot of options. Well, you can go into the restroom. There is that option. Every six minutes? Listen, with the ups and downs of an airplane, there's a lot of changes in altitude. There are lots of things going on inside of you. The pressurized cabin that is affecting, yeah. I know that my tum-tum goes crazy when we get on airplanes. And so I, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who don't want to look like they're attempting to get into the Mile High Club <laughs> just because they have gas. You do have a point. You can't just crack a window. In a plane. No. I get that. But uh, for the love of God, maybe planes should pass out those charcoal filtered panties. Oh, maybe. That, uh, where did we see those? They should put them right in that Sky Mall magazine. I agree. You know, I don't remember where we saw those, but it's supposed to dampen the effect of uh, odiferous gaseous emissions. Mm. Disagreeable effluvia, if you will. I think they were briefs rather than panties. Maybe they were. But, uh, you know. They should offer a, a selection. I would agree. Ben Franklin almost died from electrocuting a turkey. He tried to cook a turkey with electricity uh, in 1748. Oh, my goodness. He wrote to a friend of his in Philadelphia. A guy's name was Peter Collinson. He said he was, he was going to have a picnic on the banks of the river. And he said the main course was going to, going to be turkey. And he planned to uh, cook it on an electric spike. He was going to roast it on what was called what he called an electrical jack before a fire kindled by the electrified bottle. 
I'm thinking those were both inventions of his. So he goes to cook the turkey, and there's this big flash of light, and uh, it totally engulfed Franklin. He electrocuted himself while trying to cook the turkey. Later in a letter to his brother, he said that even though he did technically electrocute himself, uh, the biggest injury he sustained was to his ego. Sure. Yeah. And I'm not sure how great that turkey's going to turn out for you. After the picnic, though, even though he'd been electrocuted, he uh, he ignited flammable liquids with electricity and uh, <laughs> and set off some explosions. That's what I do after a picnic. What a fun guy. <laughs> now, we've all heard about how Ben Franklin really didn't uh, bathe. Um he was not known for his personal hygiene. Sure, of he co- had other things to do. Yeah, he had other people to do, too. Uh, oh. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, even though he did not uh, bathe in water, he thought he was keeping himself healthy and clean by taking what he called air baths. He would he would sit naked in the window of his house and just let the wind kind of blow over him, and he thought that that, that would... Uh, that's really kind of endearing. Like, I'm going to take an air bath now. Yeah. Just let the wind take my bodily funk away. Can you imagine walking through the streets of Philadelphia and looking up on the second floor and seeing a chubby, naked Ben Franklin sitting in the window just dangling his feet and other things, and, and the wind is just blowing his hair back in a romantic way? Please, and... sir. No more. No more? <laughs> Yeah, he thought, and he even did it in the wintertime. Okay, well, that I'm sure was very nice for his skin. Well, it made his pores really tight. Mm, sure. You know? And Ben Franklin notoriously had large pores. Sure. So, so. But he believed that, of course, now we know that exposing oneself to cold weather, you're apt to get sick. He thought that people got sick in the winter because of the closed-in air. And so he thought fresh air even if it was cold, was healthy. So I mean, closed-in air isn't great either. No. He was kind of right. Regardless, in the in the dead of winter in Philadelphia, naked uh, Ben Franklin sat in the upper story sure. window of his house, dangling his feet, just kicking him back and forth and waving to the neighborhood kids. His, his feet? Sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. <clears throat> That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for a wind bath. I don't know why I spoke like that. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. I look at Ben Franklin and I want to think of him speaking in some sort of a British-like accent. Yeah. When in reality, you know, he probably did, actually, now that I think about it. I he, guess. You know, he wasn't that far removed from That's the true. British colonies. Anyway, Franklin, as I alluded to a moment ago, uh, was he was a sexy, sexy man, B-Swizzle was. He had a robust sex life. He may have fathered as many as 15 illegitimate children. What? Uh, He wrote an essay called Advice on the Choice of a Mistress. (laughs) And among the suggestions that he gave was to choose a woman as a lover who is older because she will be more grateful for the attention. And then also... Right, right. I can get on board this. Yes. He also said... That what's good about that too is you you really don't notice the woman's age if you if you turn out the lights. Sure. <laughs> if if you're doing her in the dark, you don't really have to know how old she is. Right. And yet you still understand the level of gratitude that she has. Wow, that is for you something. Mm-hmm. Huh. He was married for thirty eight years, but he had many, uh, many mistresses. 
He wrote in his autobiography, The hard-to-be-governed passion of my youth had hurried me frequently into intrigues with low women that fell in my way. Low women. Lordy. (laughs) Wait, I'm sorry, but how is it that the guy who's fucking around is doing it with low women and he's not the low dude? That's no. That's because he took naked air baths, sweetie. Uh Yeah. You should know these things by now. I would have thought you'd connected the dots. Here's something that will redeem him in your eyes. All right. He was a vegetarian. Oh, but he cooked that turkey. Yeah, but I guess that was for other people. When he was 16, Franklin came upon this book, which talked, it was called uh, The Way to Health, Wealth, and Happiness by Thomas Tryon. And part of it was giving up consuming meat. Mm -hmm. meat. And so in his autobiography, Franklin said, when I was 16 years of age, I happened to meet with a book written by one uh, Tryon, Recommending a vegetable diet, I determined to go into it. My brother, just being yet unmarried, did not keep house, but boarded himself with his apprentices in another family. My refusing to eat flesh occasioned an inconveniency, and I was frequently chide for my singularity. I get that. I've been there. Boy, he had a really good way of turning a phrase for a guy who only had two years of school. Yeah, except for that first part about his brother having just entered into the blah, blah, blah. That was real awkward and clunky. He would never make it as a copywriter these days. Oh, no. Even though he had a printing press. You'd think that you would have learned to be more concise. Brevity is the soul of wit. I heard that's why American language took the U's out of a lot of... English words, because they were starting to print things, and you could get the word across, like color. You could get the word color across without right. that U. Uh, shop. You know, we don't catalog. need that extra P and E. We're just going to go shop, S-H-O-P. I'm French. B-swizzle. S-H-O-P. That's enough. Shoppy. get it. Shoppy. Even though he only had two years of formal schooling, he held honorary degrees from Harvard, Yale, and Oxford. That's pretty good. Well done. For a naked fat guy sitting in the window in the winter. Um, sure. When he was in France, when he was a diplomat in France, he was thought of as a fashion icon because he wore fur hats all the time. Franklin traveled to France with instructions from the Continental Congress to seek military aid for the American Revolution. And he was renowned, of course, worldwide by this time for his experiments with lightning. But he also made quite quite a few waves with the fashion elite for his nondescript uh, clothing and fur hats. People were dazzled by the look of the American frontiersman. He was from Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> But he donned a fur hat, and they figured he, you know, probably right. was You're out like there. You're like Davy Crockett. He's out in Kentucky somewhere. He created the first volunteer fire department in the United States. Really? He believed that fire prevention methods needed improvement. This was probably after the Turkey incident. Sure. He even published several articles in the Pennsylvania Gazette about the issue. As a result, uh, the Union Fire Company was created in 1736 and was even playfully known as Ben Franklin's Bucket Brigade, or B-Swizzle's Bucket Brigade, as we would say today. The BFBB. And then the last weird thing that I found out about Ben Franklin (laughs) was that 10 bodies were found in his basement 200 years after he lived there. He lived in a four-story Georgian house on Craven Street in London from 1757 to 1775, 
And about 200 years later, the house was being converted into a museum. I guess it was like 1998. And a construction worker came across something a little unusual in Ben's basement. It was a human thigh bone sticking out of the dirt floor. Police were called, of course, to investigate. And uh, they did a pretty thorough investigation because people are thinking, was Ben a serial killer? Oh, my goodness. They found 1,200 pieces of of bone belonging to an estimated 10 people. Six of them were children. And as I said, the bones were at least 200 years old. Most had been sawed and drilled into. Oh, so what was going on there? Was he experimenting? Was he doing anatomy experiments in his basement? Sure. I mean, he had an interest in a lot of things, right? Sure. But that wasn't the case. Um, he was friends with a man named William Hewson, a former student of the anatomist William Hunter. And, and scholars believe that Hewson uh, used Franklin's basement for his own personal lab. It's unclear whether or not Ben knew what he was doing down ben, there. Ben, uh, listen, you mind if I dump a bunch of bodies in your basement <laughs> you're a good friend ben can i borrow your shovel and quick lime again ben thanks oh and don't go downstairs that's fascinating wonderful sweetie thank you ben franklin beast whistle frank snatch what did you call him i don't know and now that thing in the middle the unclaimed baggage center in scottsboro alabama is a four thousand forty thousand square foot warehouse It's like a department store, but you can browse and buy thousands of items that passengers forgot in seat back pockets or on the airplane and and were never claimed. So they just put them for sale in this big department store like place. It says they stock between 500 and 700 items every day. Let's look at some of the weird ones. Number five, Neil Diamond's xylophone. Yes, Neil Diamond left a xylophone on the plane and, and didn't bother to claim it, I guess. Ever? That yes. seems crazy. It was for sale. Number four, a functional 14-foot-long rocket. What? Wait. They won't let you take your hairspray I was going to say. Because it's too big. <laughs> Number three, an animatronic puppet from the Jim Henson 1986 cult classic Labyrinth. How could somebody just leave that beautiful piece of history on the plane? Number two, a presidential platinum Rolex valued at $64,000. I get upset if I forget my pretzels. And number one, a full-sized headstone. What? How do you just leave a full-sized headstone? First of all, is that considered carry-on? I thought there were weight limits. I have questions. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. 
When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line the box of oddities it's not for everyone just like you we're always looking for new and exciting and uh, interesting podcasts and we want to share one with you in fact we're going to do this for a few weeks every week we're going to share one uh, podcast that we found that we think you might enjoy This week, we've talked about this show before, Crime Lines. Crime Lines walks you through true crime events, pairing captivating tales with clear storytelling. Host Charlie Worrell gives the most in-depth analysis by bringing in appropriate historic and cultural context to look beyond simply what happened and consider why it happened. It's one of the things that I appreciate most. It's like if someone says a year in history, I want to 
think about something else that makes me understand what year they mean. Because I have no concept of time. A point of context. Or space. Or measurements, really. If you like the show, make sure to check out the premium channel on Himalaya, complete with exclusive episodes, early access, and a members-only community group where you can chat with Charlie. Simply download the Himalaya app, search Crime Lines, and enter promo code CHARLIE for your first month absolutely free. That's for the premium stuff. But you can just check out Crime Lines for free. Charlie does a great job. We think you'll like it a lot. Which brings me to this question. What you got for me? What do I have for you? Mm. I see what you're getting at. Yeah. Okay. Tell me a story, girl. The Southern Vietnam Lowland Dry Forests. So it's an ecoregion. It is the single most degraded or otherwise converted dry forest ecoregion outside of India. Only India's east dry evergreen forests are in worse shape. This ecoregion contains less than 10% of its forests and only 2% are protected. It's terrible. That's a tad askew. By the way, tad askew would be a great name for like, I don't know, a crime novelist. I, I agree. So... There are several large mammals of conservational significance in this ecoregion, including the red-cheeked gibbon and pileated gibbon and potentially the tiger. Uh, the ecoregion also overlaps with another portion of lowlands and this lowland area contain two near endemic bird species. So hmm. it's obviously in danger. And if this is the only place that those birds live... You know, that's a problem. The main threats to this habitat are agriculture, exploitation of valuable hardwood trees and other plant resources, and the rampant hunting primarily to supply the huge commercial market both in Vietnam and China. Among those affected by this dire situation is the silver-backed chevrotain. What is that? Is that is that a gorilla? Like a silver-backed gorilla? No. He's also known as the Vietnamese mouse deer. Oh. So the Vietnamese mouse deer, we'll refer to him as VMD from now on. Notorious VMD. Yeah, he's also a rapper. Um, he is a large rabbit-sized animal. Okay. Like, and uh, he is, he's got like a rust-colored front side, uh, but his rear end is like a silver gray, and uh, then he's got kind of a white bottom. And he is uh, the prey of leopards, wild dogs, and pythons, and most often people. Not much recently, though, uh, despite their name, they are not mice or deer, uh, but they are the world's smallest undulate or hoofed animal. Oh. I think I just punched the microphone. Okay. Right. Ow. So uh, this mouse deer was feared lost forever. And it was captured on film foraging for food by camera traps set up in a Vietnamese forest. Almost nothing is known about VMD because the pictures uh, that we have of this animal are the first to be taken in the wild and come nearly 30 years after the last confirmed sighting. No kidding. Wow. So he's been tucked away in this forest, tootling about, doing his thing. We thought we'd lost him. For 30 years. Did one of the freaks send us a story on this? Yes. I didn't read through it entirely, though, so... Because I think that it was it was addressed to you. And I only read some of your mail. Heather sent us a message about it, and I immediately launched into hours of reading. And <laughs> this 
little fanged mouse deer is amazing. So one of the things that makes him really special, I mean, he's obviously, he's got his own things that make him special. He's magical and doesn't have to be special to me in order to be special. He can feel good about himself as he is. But uh, he's got little fangs, and that's cute as shit. Well, it depends on what he uses those little fangs for. If he's going to sink them into your throat... Not as cute as it would be if it was just like some sort of a cosmetic alteration he's on his part. He's not particularly aggressive toward humans. Uh, they oh, he's just a cute little bunny. <laughs> they think that uh, those little tusky type fangs are used for like um, being the dominant one when trying to choose a mate. I see. You know how so, it goes. So they're humping fangs. They are humping fangs, yes. I want humping fangs. Anne Guyon, a scientist and expedition team leader at Global Wildlife Conservation, led the team uh, that began their search by interviewing villagers and government forest rangers in provinces of Vietnam where they had been allegedly citing the VDM, VMD, <laughs> notorious VMD. VDM is something entirely different. Right. And there have been plenty of sightings of, of that. So in this region, illegal hunting with wire snares is widespread. So the conversations with these locals were kind of difficult. It's like, hey, when you were out poaching, did uh, you happen to see this thing that we're looking for? Yeah. You know, people don't want to chit-chat about that kind of activity. <laughs> it's weird. It's an excellent point. So the scientists had to really spend a lot of time gaining the trust of the people and being like, hey, we're not interested in what you're doing. You know, we just we want to be able to find this animal. And please believe us, we're not after you. We're after the mouse deer. But there are people in that region who've become very concerned about the wildlife uh, and and its diminishing habitat, uh, especially over the past five to ten years. And they know that a lot of it's because of overhunting with snares. So based on that information that they got from the, the town folk and the forest rangers, they installed three camera traps in the lowland forest. The team leader said, we had no idea what to expect, so I was surprised and overjoyed when we checked the camera traps and saw photographs of a chevrotain with silver flanks. It's amazing. Over five months, they captured 275 photos of the animal, and they were classified as 72 separate events. Um, apparently, if multiple photos were taken within a one-hour period, they called that an event. Since they were still learning about these animals, um, they're not sure exactly how many individual animals they had taken photographs of. That's my ne next question. Is it just one that gets around a lot? He's just, just a busy, social little butterfly. Um, they're not sure exactly. But uh, they do appear to be solitary animals, mostly caught on the camera traps, foraging for fruits and plants during the day. One of the cute things, I, I guess it's not, well, I, I think it's cute. All right. So one of the things that I really enjoyed about looking at these photos and watching the videos is they kind of walk on the tippy toes of their little hooves. Yeah. So they've got, they're the they're the smallest of these hooved animals. Oh my goodness. So they've got these little tiny baby hooves and they just walk on their tippies. And so they kind of, 
I love the sound effects you make when describing things. Anyway, so um, the findings, which were reported in Nature, Ecology, and Evolution, have increased calls for action um, to protect what remains of this population because they, they genuinely don't know how many they're seeing. They don't know if they've been just really good at hiding or if there's just so few that that this is all there is, and that's the only reason why they're spotted every once in a while. Mainly stopping the use of the snares is the is the goal now. Um, they want to uh, decrease the number of illegal wildlife traders that are doing the snaring and just pulling anything and everything out of the forest. It'll also protect other species, including several mammals and birds that are found only in that ecoregion. We talked about how there are several species there that aren't found anywhere else. Unique to that one geographic area. Yes. Kind of like Madagascar in many ways. There are a lot of uh, different types of animals and species that you can only find in Madagascar. Yeah. The silver-backed chevrotrain, also known as fanged deer mouse, deer mouse mm-hmm. adorableness, um, is the first mammal rediscovered under a global wildlife conservation program called the Search for Lost Species. And that's an initiative that seeks to find some 1,200 animal and plant species that have gone missing to science and work to protect them. So I went to the website, globalwildlife.org, and I found the Search for Lost Species page. And it says, all around the world, across habitats, across taxa, and for all kinds of reasons, once discovered species have fallen off our radar. These lost species are animals or plants that have gone unseen for years or decades and are feared possibly extinct. In order to save these species, we first need to find them. Wow. And they've collaborated with more than 100 scientists. They've compiled this list, and they are working to track down these species so that they can do their very best to save them. Well, that is a noble mission. Yes, we donated money to them. Oh, this we morning, did. By the way, <laughs> did we? Because no. you weren't sure. <laughs> okay. About that. That's um, good to know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Why not? And you can too, if you want to uh, check out that page and learn more about the um, search for lost species. Then uh, you can do that right there at globalwildlife.org. And they have broken it down uh, into the top 25 as well. So you can learn more about those and the ones that they have been able to find so far, which include Jackson's Climbing Salamander, the Fernandina Galapagos Turtle they found. They found the Wallace's Giant Bee. They found the Velvet Pitcher Plant. Wait, wait. So they're doing good work. Tell me about this giant bee. Oh, okay. Wallace's giant bee is a very large Indonesian uh, resin bee, and it is the largest known living bee species. How big is it? Um, like a basketball? I don't... That would be terrifying. Here, let me find a comparison photo for Thank you. Thank you. Okay, well, that's what he looks like. Okay, but there's no frame of reference there. Uh-huh. so There's a regular honeybee. Holy shit. I know. It's the size of a like a puppy. It's not that big. <laughs> it's huge. He's pretty big, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I don't really care if they find any more of those. What? Um I'm He's, good. No, we need to save all the bees. They're magical and wonderful. Not the big scary ones. 
I'm not I'm not so dedicated to that How cause. How about you just leave them alone? <laughs> I'm not going to do anything anywhere near them. You don't have to ever worry about it. If they're even in the same country, I probably won't go there. Where 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 are they native to? Indonesia. I want to go to Indonesia. Damn it. <laughs> anyway, they do really good work. Good stuff. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, um, you're welcome. Do you realize that uh, we're coming right up on the holiday season? I do realize that. Yes, thank you. And then immediately following that, we're back out on the road again for a couple of shows. That's right. Yes, we're going to D.C., and I'm super jazzed. We spent our honeymoon there. We've talked about this before. Our museum moon. Yeah, we are just museum geeks. And where do you want to go? If you could go anywhere, where would you like to go for your honeymoon? The Smithsonian. So that's what we... uh, We did. But we're going to be in Washington on the 29th of January with a show at the DC Comedy Loft. Super jazzed. And then uh, on the 29th of February, yes, that's the real date. It's Leap Day. We're going to be at the Bijou, the historic Bijou Theater in Bridgeport, Connecticut. It's so gorgeous and we have no business being there. You can get all the details at theboxofoddities.com. Looking forward to seeing you next time on The Box. Until then, Keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to to beseech you for assistance. The box of oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you to provide a five star rating and a positive review. True. That is, two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts hello everyone stakuyi here and i'm gabby And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.